God is good. All the time. You know, um, I recently uh, acquired a couple of hats that people have given me. Um, one is blue and one is red. And it says, God is good all the time on it. So I was going to wear one this week and I forgot it. So I'll wear one in a couple weeks. And One's blue, I think, for uh, Democrats. One's red for Republicans. I'm not going to go any further with that one. But God is truly good. And uh, thanks, Tom, for reminding us of Father's Day. Um, it's an honor to be a father, isn't it, men? It's an honor and a privilege, a heavy responsibility. Um, sometimes you can feel the weight's a little too heavy, but at times you also can be reminded of just the joy of being a father, and again, the privilege, privilege of that. And uh, I know one father who's especially happy today. I see him sitting in our congregation today, Tom Cushenberry. His daughter came home from the hospital this week. And, uh, yes. And uh, I have my wristband on, it says, Fight Like a Girl. So I don't. <laughs> so uh, we've been praying for, for Bailey and uh, continue to pray for her. Uh, she's uh, not completely out of the woods, but at least she's home and making great, great progress. And uh, also, is, is Earl here this morning? Where's Earl? He was. Did he leave? Uh, Earl Mack is doing well. He's making good progress. He's been here the last two Sabbaths. And uh, so we rejoice in what God's doing in his life, too. We thought we were going to lose him a couple weeks ago. But it's good to still have him here with us. Well, uh, and then, of course, this is not a sermon prop today. Uh, I'm not missing the beach this much. But uh, uh, VBS is getting started. And uh, I'm, I'm sad to say that that the surfboards that I brought from San Diego that I brought over in my U-Haul and put in my garage, uh, the most use they're going to get in the last year and a half, they're going to be props up here, you're going to see, starting, starting on Sunday. So uh, they're, at least they're getting out of the garage. I'm making progress to move from out of the garage to hopefully the beach this summer and uh, give it a try. But we do live in crazy times, don't we? My goodness. Crazy times politically, crazy times internationally, environmentally, economically, emotionally, and spiritually. I think I could go for a rapture about right now. What do you, what do you think? Uh, missed the last one. Uh, the next one is supposed to be in the fall. But as Adventists, we believe in the rapture. You know that, right? We just don't believe in the secret rapture. Now, Dr. Pauline's here, so you can correct me anytime I get a little off here. But, but uh, we believe in the rapture. God's going to come and take his people. But every eye is going to see him. And every, everyone's going to hear that trumpet. And uh, we just want him to come sooner than later. And I must tell you that I fully, fully believe the time is growing short. I fully believe the time is growing short and God will not tarry long. And I know other pastors said that millennia ago. <laughs> but I, I got to believe it. I got to believe it the way things are going. I believe Ephesians 6 when Paul writes... Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I believe that. I don't believe that Paul was writing a nice little kind of science fiction uh, phrase here. I believe this is true. 
that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But there is a battle going on. There is war going on. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, Paul continues, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on... What does it say? Always keep on praying for all the saints. You get the idea of Paul saying, don't ever stop. Don't ever stop praying. When you think you're done praying, you're not done. Keep praying. Keep praying. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Peter writes in his epistle, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can work really hard in this life. Is that what it says? Be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. You get the sense that prayer is pretty important in the Bible, don't you? So that we can pray. And I'm reminded by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, we walk by faith, not by sight. But everything in our life is so visual. We let so many things, all the things that we see, that we can touch and we can feel, control our lives. When if we are people of the Bible and people of the kingdom, we know it goes way beyond that. It's the things that we can't see. Paul writes again in the fourth chapter to uh, 2 Corinthians, So we fix our eyes not on the internet and everything else that we can see, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I love the words of C.S. Lewis. All that is not eternal is eternally out of date. Think about that. All that is not eternal is eternally out of date. But maybe our lives are too busy to remember this part of the story. You know, day in and day out, getting up, going to work on Monday, getting through the grind, making it to Friday. Oh, it's Sabbath. I don't have to work. Oh, or maybe our lives get too busy and we forget the story that is really being played out. The story that we were reminded of at Easter time, you know, once upon an eternity. Remember the story of the great controversy, the story of what's really going on. First Peter 5 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to play with. Really? To devour. Do you remember that? That the devil is out there looking to not play nicely, not play a few tricks, but to devour you and I. The Bible in basic English says, be serious and keep watch. The evil one who is against you goes about like a lion with open mouth in search of food. He wants to devour. But maybe, maybe you feel like my son Andrew. 
They love it every time I mention them in a sermon because it goes cha-ching, right? Maybe you feel a little bit like my son Andrew, who uh, a few months ago we made the plunge as parents, whether you agree with it or not, we went off the deep end and got cell phones for our kids. Now, some of you are going, oh, you know, some of you are going, finally. Um, but, you know, a while back there was issues at some of the schools in L.A., and people, there were guns at school, and they were locking them down. And I remember hearing this one father on the street. He says, well, I was able to talk to my daughter on her cell phone, so I know she's okay. I said, you know what? I pray that by the grace of God nothing like that ever happens at our school. But if something does happen, I want to be able to connect with my kids and to know, are you okay? And uh, so um, recently we just got rid of this vehicle because it was just falling apart. But we had a, a 2000 Ford Expedition, and after 11 years, you know, everything that just annoys you goes wrong. Um, you know, the, the locks don't work, the windows stop working, you know. And poor Andrew, the child lock would automatically set itself all the time. So we'd all be getting out of the car, and he's like, let me out, you know, I can't get out. And we, you know, anyways, things like that. So one time... Uh, we got home. Lisa wasn't home yet. And uh, we're getting in and, and we're in the house. And I'm like, man, it's awfully quiet in here. I'm like, where's, Alana, where's Andrew? Where, where'd he go? I don't know. It wasn't my turn to watch, you know. And I'm like, okay, well. So all of a sudden my phone goes, bing, bing. <laughs> and I'm like, who's texting me? Andrew says, what about me? I'm locked in the truck. <laughs> <laughs> I'd set the alarm and everything, you know. He didn't, so he didn't want to set off the alarm and all that type of stuff. And so... I'm like, oh, man, I'm so sorry, you know, but, but maybe you feel like Andrew, you know, you're in this world and everything is going crazy and you're locked in and you're like, God, are you even hearing my text messages? What about me? What about me? You know, I'm stuck. I'm locked in this place. Or maybe, uh, maybe you're just like this bumper sticker that I was behind this week, obviously a dog lover. And I, <laughs> I was trying to get up close so I could read what it, what it said. And it said, it's a dog's world. I'm just here to open up the cans. <laughs> Maybe you feel like, you know, maybe God is just so detached. He's just kind of left us here, and I'm just about just kind of taking care of responsibilities and doing things. But really, what is this life all about? But what I want to do this morning is I want to I eavesdrop, if you will, on Jesus a little bit this morning. I want to drop in on a conversation that he's having with his disciples and, and others who are around. And, and, and Luke writes about this, and he tells two parables about two prayers with with a very important purpose. But before we get to those parables, I want to back it up and I want to drop in on the conversation and look at Luke chapter 17. And Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. We pick it up in verse 22 of chapter 17. It says, Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, There he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who was on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. 
Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked, he replied. Where there's a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Jesus is reminding them that God will fully reign when Jesus comes back again. That he had come, he'd brought the kingdom in his own being, and he was inviting people to submit to the reign of God. But there will come a day when Jesus comes back when everyone is vindicated and justification takes place and everything is made completely right. And he's telling his people, I know you're experiencing great oppression from Rome. I know you're experiencing these horrible things, but keep on going. Keep trusting me. Keep believing that I'm good all the time, no matter what you see. Keep believing. And so... Jesus tells two parables following these words. It says Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. If you're a disciple of Jesus here today, you may or may not have made that decision yet, but if you're a disciple of Jesus today, you need to hear your master. I need to hear my master tell us today, John You need to always pray and don't give up praying. He says, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. There was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Now, what, what you need to understand is in the original language, this, this phrase of where it says, so that she won't eventually come and attack me, is actually taken from the boxing arena. And it means to be struck below the eye. So this, this man is saying, this widow's crazy. She just keeps coming at me and coming at me. And I think pretty soon, the next time she's going to come, and she's going to physically attack me. So I'm going to go ahead and grant this because I don't want to take the chance of her just going crazy on me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and Quickly. However, Jesus continues, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find people who continue to press on because they trust God no matter what? Even though he slays me, yet will I trust in him. Jesus tells us. Now, oftentimes, sometimes like your Bible in the subheading of this little pericope, they call it, of of verses 1 through 8, might say something like the prayer of a persistent widow. And sometimes we look at that and say, you see, we have to be persistent. We have to keep banging and banging and banging. I mean, do you think Jesus wants you to come at him in such a way that he's afraid you're going to inflict harm on him? Like this judge? All right. All right, John, I'll give you what you're asking, man. You're going to go crazy on me. See, Jesus is contrasting. He's showing the difference. He's saying, 
God is nothing like this judge. Remember how this judge was described. He did not care about God or people. God cares about God and people. And this judge is not. So he says, if a judge who doesn't care about God or care at all about people, and the judge, remember, in that community was someone who represented God. When Moses established all this system God gave through him, the judge was supposed to be representative of God, and he made the decisions to bring shalom back to the community. And this judge was not doing that. This judge did not care about God. He did not fear God and did not care about people. So God is nothing like this judge in this parable. He's saying, in fact, God is quite the opposite. God loves you and cares about you, so he will reply and give justice and vindication quickly. Now, quickly is another thing we can spend a whole other sermon series on. Because our term of quickly and God's frame of quickly can be different things. But God always does things in perfect timing in accordance with his reign. And we are often thinking timing needs to happen according to our empire's timekeeping. There's a big difference. A big, big difference. And so... Jesus goes on. Jesus goes on and then tells another parable, beginning in verse 9. To some, it says, who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you. I thank you, God, that I am not like this other person. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now in the Greek, it's interesting because there's a definite article before the word sinner So this should literally be translated, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. I'm not just a sinner. I'm the sinner here, God. In this place with that Pharisee who has it all together and does everything right, I'm sure you love him. I'm the sinner here. Have mercy on me, God. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Pharisee, we see, was absorbed in his own virtue. But the tax collector prayed almost essentially the Psalm of David after he'd been confronted in his sin with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. You see, the difference between the tax collector and the Pharisee was that the the Pharisee put his confidence in himself. But the tax collector put his confidence in God's mercy and compassion. When our confidence is in God and who he is, that he's good all the time that he's merciful all the time, that he's loving all the time, that he's forgiving all the time, then we can know that we can come to the throne of grace boldly. As the writer of Hebrews says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
But be careful. In this passage, I found myself, I must confess, as I'm sure maybe some of us here today walk away from this parable too quickly and say, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that Pharisee. It's an easy trap to fall into. But C.S. Lewis once again says, In prayer, we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. That's what Abba wants. That's what our Father wants. He wants communion and conversation. Our God is not a corporation or a company. He's personal and He is real and He wants genuine communion. You know, you ever have a conversation with someone and they tell you what they think you want to hear? You're like, we're just wasting time here. Let's, let's get to the issue. Tell me what you really think. Or what I really love is when someone doesn't beat around the bush and they just go off. And you say, so tell me what you really think. Because <laughs> they just did. In prayer we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. I love Hebrews 5.7. And there's several verses around that. There's so much deep theology that I don't think I'll ever fully unpack. But verse 7 says, In the days of his flesh, referring to Jesus... He, Jesus, offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. It says he was heard. He he cried out to the one who could save him from his death. But didn't Jesus die? That's why I'm here today. But he cried out to God, save me from this. But it says God heard him. Now Jesus also said, not my will, but your will be done. But we know Jesus wanted that cup to pass from him. But here's what I love. We can cry out to God and know that no matter what you cry out to God, it could be in complete contrast to the will of God, and he hears you. He hears you. Because God is always listening. He wants to hear our prayers whether we're upset, whether we're happy, whether we're in pain and agony or frustration or total confusion, he wants to talk with us. And he says, don't ever stop. Don't ever stop praying. The end is near. Don't stop. Philip Yancey, in his book on prayer, said the Bible records with approval all sorts of selfish prayers. An infertile woman who wants a baby, a widow who needs some cooking oil, a soldier who begs for victory in battle. People pray for rain during a drought, for vengeance on their enemies. The Lord's Prayer itself includes a plead for daily bread. Paul prays about safe travels, prosperous work, relief from a physical ailment, and boldness in preaching. James urges prayers for wisdom and physical healing. After reviewing the prayers contained in the Bible, Philip goes on and says, I have stopped worrying about inappropriate prayers. If God counts on prayer as a primary way to relate to me, I may block potential intimacy by devising a test for appropriateness and filtering out prayers that may not meet the criteria. Did you hear that? Let me read it again. If God counts on prayer as a primary way to relate to me, I may block potential intimacy by devising a test for appropriateness and filtering out prayers that may not meet the criteria. According to Jesus, nothing is too trivial. Everything about me, my thoughts, my motives, my choices, my moods, attracts God's interests. 
Philip Yancey goes on and says, reality, not flawless technique, is the goal. Reality with God. Paul writes to encourage us in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Isn't that comforting? We can come to God in prayer and not have it all together. We may not even know how to finish a sentence or even have a word. And the Spirit is already interceding because God is a God of grace that always initiates and is there. But let me say this. If Satan can get us to stop praying, the battle is over. We're done. Jesus says, I tell you these parables to keep on praying and don't give up. Because through human hearts accepting my reign, my kingdom is coming and my will is being done. And someday you're going to hear the trumpet. You're going to see me in the clouds and I will take care of the vindication. I will take care of all whatever judgment needs to take place. I am taking care of you and I will see you through to the end. And so Jesus asks us to pray with the confident conviction of the widow and the heartfelt humility of the tax collector. And so we pray. We cry out. We rejoice. We weep. We shout. We kneel speechless. We pray in frustration. We pray with thankful hearts. And sometimes we pray in confusion, maybe even in anger, with cold hearts, with warm hearts, in pain, in grief, with hopefulness. We commune with God no matter what. Dear Lord, thank you for the wonderful day you've given me today. Thank you for the week you've given me, filled with its many opportunities and experiences. Thank you for guiding me through the rough patches and for giving me a very real sense of your presence. Oh, brother. Thank you for giving me a very real sense of oh, your... Oh, brother, how can you say that? Huh? How can you say that, tripe? Your face ought to be red. Who's talking? Oh, come on. You know who. Oh, no, not you. Oh, yes, it's me. Or should I say, oh, yes, it's you. Well, I'm not going to listen to you. You said that last week. And the week before that. And the year before that. Dear Lord, thank you for the wonderful cliche, week you Cliché, cliché, cliché. I'm still here. You can't shout me down because I just get louder. You don't even believe half that stuff. Enough. You're not even sure about most of the stuff you just said. I said be quiet. Someone will hear. As a matter of fact, you're not even sure there is a God. You're afraid you might just be tossing words up at the stars. I am not. You are so, and I know, because you're only there on the ceremonial outside. I'm in here, where it all happens. Get behind me, Satan, the bringer of doubt. Oh, no, it's not Satan this time. You can't just pawn the responsibility off to some bad guy figure. This is yourself talking here. These doubts are yours. Yeah, well... 
Go away, I'm praying. No, you're not. You're mouthing. You're performing. You're only in this church because you feel guilty if you don't go. What? You think church is basically boring. You have ever since you were a kid, when you'd sit there and wish you could be outside playing. You still feel that way. Like you want to be out there doing something active. Doing something real. I once heard you think. Oh, come on. That's not fair. And All I meant speaking was... of real, why don't you pray a real prayer? Experiences and opportunities? Ha! Why not ask why everything got messed up right in front of your eyes? Even the things you prayed for. Well, God works in mysterious ways. Oh, he works in mysterious ways, all right. First, in the Bible, he tells us if we pray for something, we'll get it. Then, when we do pray, half the time, nothing happens. What a big con job. Oh, come on, it isn't that simple. Don't give me all the old cop-outs. You know the verses yourself. Ask anything in my name, I think is the wording. And knock on the door and it shall be opened. Ask and you shall receive. You know them all because you read them at the prayer meeting where you went to pray for the farmers who were losing everything because of the drought. Didn't you? Yeah. How many months ago was that? Ten. And what about the drought? Worse than ever, isn't it? Farmers forced off their lands. Families split up. Suicides. Well... The hardship has brought the community closer together. Well, you try telling that to the farmers. You prayed for this drought to end, and it didn't. Just like the famine in Ethiopia. You've been praying for that one for the past five years, and it's still happening. Kids are dying like flies. The kids that he is supposed to care for. But, But that's not God's fault. That's the greed of the politicians and the warlords. Then why doesn't he take the politicians and the warlords and close them down? But but God weeps for the suffering children. He suffers too. That's a great comfort, isn't it? God in heaven, where everything is wonderful and perfect, weeps for the suffering children. Look, imagine you're a parent. You're sitting at the park watching your kids happily playing when suddenly a group of thugs comes along and starts beating up your kids. So what do you do? Sit there and weep for them? Of course not. Any parent worth their salt weighs in and does something. But, but God has his wrathful side too, and he will take vengeance on but those when, who... when, friend, when? How many more kids have to die? How many more families have to be machine-gunned down before he does something? And it's not just overseas or in the Midwest, is it? It's closer to home, isn't it? What about Brian Wilson, hmm? Killed in his car with his two friends. His father was a minister. Don't tell me no one ever prayed for him. But the tire blew out anyway. But but his fiancée got out of it okay, and she was such a wonderful witness to the nurses in the hospital. Well, I suppose she had to be. She had to have something to hold on to now that she's a paraplegic. All those kids had been prayed about a million times. Just like people prayed for Kathy. They did pray for Kathy, didn't they? Yeah, of course they prayed for Kathy. How many times? Dozens. And they claimed healing and wholeness and health, didn't they? Of course they they did. But what happened when the pain got too much for her? (laughs) She, she, She ended her life. She killed herself. 
could have just been her lack of faith. Yeah, but it wasn't their lack of faith. The rest of them believed it. You know, because you saw the faith shining in their eyes. Her own teenage son said, Mom, I don't believe you're going to die. You heard him say it. Well? Yeah, God! What about it? That's better. I don't hear anything. And I don't see any reason. But I'm a human being and I'm a thinking person and I want to know why! Why the drought? And why the war? And why those poor little kids and Brian Wilson and Kathy? We prayed to you about that, God, and you never delivered! You, you have the nerve, the nerve to sit up there and watch that funeral while Reverend Davies tries to tell us that she was healed in ways we know not of. What are you, God? Some giant con man? You're supposed to love everyone. If this is how you treat your friends, it's no wonder you don't have any. I've always been too scared to say any of this stuff. At least now we both know where we stand. So go ahead, God. Zap me. So, where do the prayers go? I don't know. Maybe there's nothing. No, no, there has to be something. You're too scared for there to be nothing, aren't you? Yes. So that's it? Hmm? You're too scared for there to be nothing? And if there is something, you're scared it will send you to hell. So you pray. Yes. Well, you have a pretty basic form of Christianity. When it comes down to it, you don't believe. You don't know. You just hope. Yes. Like a shipwrecked sailor clinging to a piece of driftwood. All right, I get it. So why cling to it? Why not just let go? I don't know. Yes, you do. Dig deep. There's old Mrs. Anderson. Dear old Mrs. Anderson. She knows. She is sure. You saw in her eyes when she used to teach you Sunday school. And Reverend Davies, he knows. No, no, that could all be in their heads, like psychologically. Oh, come you on, know? you don't believe that either. Deep down, you know there must be something that makes people like that tick. Like, what about Clarky? In and out of jail for years, and now look at him. Whole personality changed. And what about the kid in the next town? A miracle. The doctors claimed total unexplainable healing. Yeah, I guess so. So there's also that side of things you have to take into account. Something must be working. You know you're not so much a sailor clinging to a piece of driftwood, but a sailor clinging to the edge of a ship and thinking it's a piece of driftwood. You just haven't climbed in yet. So pray. Oh, come on, I can't pray now. I mean, I've blown it already, haven't I? Well, if there is a God, I'm sure he's big enough to take it. Look, your own family gets angry with you sometimes. Do you love them any less? No, of course not. So pray. All right. Dear Lord, uh, thank you no, for hearing no, me today. No, no, no. That's where you started out before. You're not ready to talk to God like that. You haven't gotten past the hoping stage. You're not sure he exists. You have to start by asking for help. No show, no acting.
God? Good start. God of Mrs. Anderson and Clarkey and Reverend Davies, please, uh, please be my God too. Amen. So, how do you feel? Naked. Congratulations. That's the first completely honest prayer you've said since you were ten. That we can come to you no matter what. You are there all the time. You will listen to us all the time. And you are speaking all the time. Thank you that you are a God of grace and compassion and love and forgiveness who doesn't expect us to have it all together, but just wants to be with us. Thank you, Lord, for the message that you spoke to your disciples to encourage us not to give up, but to keep on praying because you are coming again. We love you in your name.